Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I am a Newark attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, knowing how to respond to the question. Over the following weeks and months, I'm going to take a look at some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of this show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. So we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we can talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about the effects of abuse, the effects of incest, the effects of trauma. I was doing some research through Facebook and taking a look at some of the various posts that have been put up in some of the anti-human trafficking groups. Now, one of the things I came across, it actually is a poster and it says reasons someone may have an outburst. Now, taking a look at this list, it may be very easy for you to identify somebody in your world who behaves and responds in this way. And maybe you don't understand why. And it can be as a result of some trauma that they have faced. Now, this poster comes from the Depression Project. And so the title is reasons someone may have an outburst over something small. Their past trauma has been triggered, they're grieving, and their painful emotions have spilled out into this situation. That's interesting because as their past trauma has been triggered, I believe with all of us, we may be triggered by various things and we may react or overreact to a situation and not understand why, but it's because we've been triggered. However, we may not be able to identify the trigger. It's only if we look back and we self-analyze, self-reflect on what has just taken place, then we may be able to identify that in fact we have responded in such a way because of something that has happened to us in the past. It says here they're grieving and their painful emotions have spilled out into this situation. I think that many of us can relate if we've had a bad day and then we go on to interact with somebody else and maybe the interaction doesn't go the way we want. We may respond in anger, respond in frustration, we may lash out at that person. The next one says, the physical symptoms of their anxiety could not be controlled in this moment. In other words, it's as though they've simply lost control. They were not able to hold back. They were not able to maintain control of their emotions and of their feelings. They're in survival mode. And this is something that is often heard and discussed and talked about in relation to women in the sex industry. This association is, is one of the ways in which they survive the effects of being abused and raped by customers and for them to be able to continue this work and I say that with air quotes to continue this so-called work they may go into the survival mode of disassociation they may take drugs alcohol they may do whatever they need to to protect and safeguard themselves from the reality of what in fact they're experiencing the next one says they're under a lot of pressure and dealing with an excessive amount of stress. 
again, many of us can have had this type of experience happen to us and not because of something traumatic in our past. But we're dealing with a lot at work, dealing a lot in our lives in general. The final one, they have anxiety and due to its unpredictability, get triggered by surprises. And then it says at the bottom, before labeling somebody as dramatic or extra, please understand why they reacted the way that they did. There's often a lot more going on than the trigger. And that is what is important. And it makes me think about how in schools, for example, the first and immediate reaction response to a misbehaving student is to exclude him or her without considering that there's much more that being on the surface as to why the child is behaving that way. Similarly, if a child is promiscuous, again, if they are behaving inappropriately in school, the immediate reaction response is to exclude them rather than trying to scratch away at the surface and to uncover why they're behaving in this way, what is leading that girl or boy to have such conduct, so to speak. I also found another poster, which is Trauma Bonding Simplified. And so it says here, the child experiences abuse and rejection and love growing up. Now, if you think about it, children are naive, they're innocent, they don't know very much. They've only been in the world for two, three, four, five, seven, ten years. There's still so much for them to learn. And so their experiences of abuse plus rejection plus love would confuse anybody. And we have women who are in domestically abusive relationships who also have trauma bonding. And you would expect that maybe they wouldn't because they're older and wiser. It is not the case because when a person has been in a relationship, often that they are psychologically abused and manipulated and they may develop Stockholm syndrome. There may be grooming going on. And so it is very hard to walk away and to separate from that, even though the relationship may be physically, mentally, emotionally abusive and harmful. It says the child then associates love with abuse. And if we think about it, with these women who are in relationships that are abusive, sometimes the reason it's hard for them to leave is because it is the normal for them. They grew up seeing parents in an abusive household. They grew up seeing that their mother stayed. And in fact, there are times when young people who become adults even admire the fact that the mother stuck around. In fact, there are many posts on Facebook where people are saying, the society has now changed. In the old days, women would stay and stick by their husband. But in fact, as many would comment on such posts, the women stuck with their husbands because of shame, because of fear of leaving, and not for the right reasons. It wasn't that they stuck with them because of love. They stuck with them because that was just how society was back then. But now women are becoming a lot more empowered to leave abusive relationships, which is exactly how it should be. A woman should not stay until the point of death. She should not stay until the point of broken bones and bruises. She should leave for her safety and that of her children. So if you think about it, with regards to trauma bonding in children, the child is experiencing abuse and rejection and love. They're experiencing all these three things together, which is confusing. It's a melting pot. They would then go on to associate love with the abuse. That child will learn to shut down their feelings. They will compartmentalize. It doesn't mean they're a robot per se, but they're not able to tap into their emotions. So their feelings are happy and sad, happy and angry. If you ask them, how do they feel? I'm fine. And they can't go into any more than that because they simply don't know. They've got used to suppressing and hiding their feelings. The child will blame themselves when bad things happen. That's a big one. Whether it's a child, a young woman, an adult, often victims blame themselves. If only I had done this. But when it's a child, they're very innocent in the sense of when it is a family member, somebody close to them. There is very little they can do to protect themselves. When it is an adult, a person of the age of 18, they have the capacity and the ability to be able to leave that situation. 
because they're an adult when you're a child you can't just leave it is not that simple when you're an adult you have the ability to leave often many times it's difficult because psychologically it is hard to be able to walk away and in fact it's interesting because someone recently made a statement about how they have female friends that are stupid because they don't leave the abusive relationships they're in and i just said hmm but i didn't agree with that statement and ignorance is is a thing where a person lacks knowledge and for me it wasn't the time or the place to try to explain to this individual that they're completely wrong that it is not that easy to leave and in fact when a woman does leave an abusive relationship that is when she is most at risk of being killed when a woman is pregnant that is when she's most at risk of being killed and so leaving is not that simple and often there's a lot of fear it is not as simple as walking out of the door it is hard because that woman that victim she is mentally imprisoned she may have the freedom to open the door and come in and out but that mental imprisonment and if he finds her when she leaves then the repercussions will be a lot worse so it's safer for her to stay and to deal with the abuse than to leave it's hard for many of us to get our head around that that when you work with victims and survivors of domestic violence and abuse you understand that fear which is false evidence appearing real imprisons these women where they are unable to walk out and never come back they walk out and come back and walk out and come back and so we may say well it obviously isn't that bad it's not that serious until she ends up seriously injured physically injured or until she ends up dead and then we're shocked and surprised and we blame the victim and say why didn't she leave it really isn't that easy again fear is false evidence of pain realness when you're afraid it is very very hard to get that courage and confidence to be able to leave it is not easy and even when you leave where will you go do you have a support system do you have the finances do you have the provision of accommodation all of these things are really important but in reference to children here it says that they shut down their feelings they blame themselves and then the child will internalize that love that the love that they're receiving it hurts or it's hard in other words that child is unfortunately deceived into believing that the love that they've been receiving it's just hard it's just like tough love love hurts and so they have this misconception of what love really is and according to 1 Corinthians 13 love is patient love is kind love does not hold a record of wrongs it doesn't hurt it doesn't abuse and love is not hard patience is a virtue but love isn't hard the child will then grow up and meet a partner who is abusive emotionally physically or psychologically And I know this is a case because having worked in domestic violence many of the clients that I had grew up in a household where they witnessed abuse at some point in their childhood or were even victim of domestic violence not necessarily sexual but physical abuse when they become an adult and they're in that emotionally abusive relationship they will shut down their feelings wants and needs the adult will then blame themselves for their partner's behavior so when they were a child they blamed themselves when bad things happened and then when they're an adult they blame themselves for the behavior of another person it becomes about them if i had done this this wouldn't have happened if i had not done that and so instead of realizing actually the blame is being placed in the wrong place they take on that responsibility of another person's actions or inactions and other person's omissions or commissions the adult strives to be good enough for their partner to make sure the dinner is cooked make sure the dishes are done and things like this their partner reinforces this attachment by alternating between kind acts and acts of rejection. If you remember right at the beginning, the child experiences abuse and rejection and love, and so the partner will reinforce that attachment which the child first experienced when they were young and under the 
provision of the household. In other words, under the care and the authority of their parents, the adult will make excuses for the partner and is subconsciously trying to feel good enough for that person. It's interesting because it is this cycle, and so it starts when they're a child, and then when they're an adult, it just continues from where it has begun. It's a, a circle, and this is the trauma bonding in the most simplistic way of looking at it. Then I also found a list which is PTSD symptoms, and it says here, not all wounds are visible. And that is important to know. Just because a wound is not visible doesn't mean to say that it is any less serious. So with PTSD symptoms, it says here, nightmares, guilt, poor judgment, intrusive memories. Intrusive memories, I believe, is where a person may be going about their day and then, not a flashback, but that these memories will just come out of the blue. Because flashbacks is also on the list, but intrusive memory sounds like a memory that just sort of intrudes when it shouldn't. It comes into your mind at a time when really it should not. Poor memory is another one. Survivor guilt, which is something that was mentioned in relation to the trauma bonding. The child feels guilt when they're a child and when they're an adult they feel guilt and then they feel the added responsibility of making that partner happy and satisfied. Of course, flashbacks is on the list of PTSD symptoms. Startle reflex, hypervigilance, irritability. And it's interesting because there are many people, especially the older generation, that can be <laughs> considered to have this irritability. It doesn't mean they have PTSD, it's just maybe a part of their nature character. Or maybe simply as time goes on, people have less tolerance for things of the world. They want things to be their way or no way. And the older they get, the more set in their ways they become. Anger and rage, of course, which would make complete sense because you're dealing with all those feelings and emotions. Self-destructive. Lack of feelings. Self-destructive makes me think about individuals who maybe cut their wrists, suicide attempts, those who maybe drink excessively, or even eating disorders, those who may binge eat. Insomnia is a big one. In fact, I know of a young girl and she was abused, became pregnant as a result of rape, and she gave birth to a daughter. Now, she has insomnia. To my knowledge, she was not abused during her sleep. I believe that is not the case from what I was told. But what I do know is that she suffers from insomnia because she's afraid of going to sleep, because if she goes to sleep, she's afraid someone will abuse her child. And so because of that, she finds it very difficult to have peace at night because of the concern that her child will go through the very same thing that she has. Poor concentration, hopelessness. This is a big one, which also links into poor self-esteem when you consider that you are not good enough. And on the back of that, we also have negative self-image all of these are quite huge, and so therefore, that individual, the pimp, trafficker, abuser, partner, husband, whoever that may be, will destroy that person's self-image and then build it back up again. So they will tell that wife, partner, girlfriend that they're ugly, they will say derogatory things to her, and then they'll build her back up again. And so this woman, her emotions which she's been hiding as a child are all mixed up, and then her self-image and self-worth she's confused about doesn't feel good about, especially when she can never do anything right, and then when she's being criticized, that will then go on to validate those feelings that she has, feelings of worthlessness, feelings of not being good enough. Even though those feelings may not be the reality, they are reinforced by the abusive person in her life. Apathy, mistrust, isolation, avoidance, 
excessive blame, dissociation, which is a big one in relation to prostitution. Many of the women will dissociate. And we also know about children who are abused too will at times disassociate when they are systematically going through abuse. And then there is a young lady who shares on Facebook that she has hypervigilance. And she says, it is a symptom of abandonment trauma phobia. And somebody comments and says that they're observant and they notice every small change in tone, delays in responding, lack of interest, and she literally breaks her own heart. And then a person also says, it's also a symptom of different anxiety disorders, PTSD and OCD. Abandonment trauma is a form of PTSD. That's interesting because hypervigilance can indeed surely be a good thing, but not to the point where it controls your life. Think about it, if you're able to observe things, small details, that can have many benefits because let's say if you're going for a job interview, you can observe that you are not responding in the way the interviewer would like. You can observe that your response is a bit too long-winded. You can observe you're boring the interviewer. So hypervigilance obviously has its advantages in many things. There are advantages and disadvantages to them and many of our weaknesses can at times become strengths. When we consider here, that this person, she notices changes in tone, delays in responses, lack of interest. It breaks her heart, which is sad, but then at the same time, her observing those things indeed does protect and safeguard her, even if she doesn't realize it, because she's able to see the reality. We know that actions speak louder than words, and a person can say many things to you with good intention, but in fact, all that they're saying to you is mere words, and there is little or no sincerity. And so if a person expresses to her something, I will never leave you, I will support you, I will be around forever, I'll always help you. When she starts to notice a lack of interest, then that enables her to be protected because it enables her to walk away from something where she may end up being a lot more hurt in the future when she becomes more emotionally involved or even financially involved in that relationship, platonic or otherwise delays in responding. The problem with that is this hypervigilance means that she can then overanalyze the situation and misread it into something it's not. A person may be busy, a person may have no Wi-Fi, a person may be occupied, a person may be taking a break. And so she will see the delay in the response as being about her when in fact maybe the person has a challenge or situation of their own. And that is a difficulty. In the old days, I believe that we, we, we would not have struggled so much in such a way of changing in tone, delays in responding, lack of interest. Because in the old days, we would communicate. I said the old days, I'm referring to 20 years ago. We would communicate eye contact, body language, face-to-face -face or over the landline telephone. Now communication has been reverted to texts, emails, tweets, Facebook posts. And as a result of that, the communication that we have <coughs> it may indeed seem as though we are communicating with a tone, but it is written text. And so how can a person understand and interpret a tone? And of course, we become so addicted to social media and to our phones that the phones will auto text and auto type. And so you may read a message when in fact it is a typo or in fact it's just grammatics. Lack of correct grammar, commas, punctuation marks mean that you can misread a tone when it's not there. It is often difficult to be sarcastic or to make dry, humorous jokes in written form if the person doesn't really understand you or understand the way in which you communicate. It can lead to confusion. 
And so I'm thinking, if we were referring back to 20 years ago, vocally a person's change in tone would express and mean something. But it is very different to now where we allow the phone to do everything for us. We are unable, it seems, to, to drive without the phone telling us where we need to go. We're unable to do anything without the phone, without Google telling us the answers to that. And so even this small change of tone, for all we know, that could be something she's observed and then she's Googled. What about if a person speaks to you with a high voice and Google has told her it means this and in that person's situation, maybe they were having a difficult day, maybe that person was annoyed, but it wasn't about her, but she makes it all about herself. And that is the thing. What we have to understand, like I was sharing with the reasons someone may have an outburst, is that people get triggered by different things. Hypervigilance is a form of protection because it enables you to observe everything. Let's say, for example, that you have a phobia of spiders, a phobia of frogs, you are going to always be on the lookout. So it's a form of protection. It means you can relax because you've checked. Yep, no spiders, no frogs, coast is clear, no cockroaches, coast is clear. Having that skill, if I can call it that gift, that ability of being hypervigilant means that when you go into an environment, you observe your surroundings, you know, yep, I'm safe. If there's a fire, that's an exit. If this person behaves inappropriately, I know where the door is, I'm this sort of thing. And as it says here, it's also a symptom of abandonment trauma. I'd also say that even just being traumatized from an experience, it can make you hypervigilant or just being abandoned, not necessarily abandonment trauma, but being abandoned and having a traumatic experience can make you that way. You will observe what is being said. When I think about women in the sex industry, they have very often experienced abuse at the hands of the customers and They've developed this skill, I'm going to call it hypervigilance, in fact, where the customer may come to them on Monday and on Wednesday, when that prostitute turns on the news, turns on television, she's not surprised to see that his face is there, wanted poster, because he has raped somebody. Even more so, these women are able to identify certain things in men in general. So let's say that the lady is no longer in the sex industry, and she's at an event, she's able to observe things in these manners. She's able to identify if they're into porn, if they've had a prostitute. She has certain skills and giftings which have come about from being sexually exploited by hundreds or sometimes thousands of men. They develop the skill or gift. I'm sure that many females would love to have that skill or gift, but would not want to go through the years of exploitation just to be able to have that. Gaslighting is something else that is spoken about in relation to domestic violence specifically. And I found a great poster which was put up on Facebook in reference to Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And it says, what is gaslighting? When someone intentionally twists your perception of reality for their own gain. So I read that again. When someone intentionally twists your perception of reality for their own gain. This is based on the play and movie Gaslight. So what exactly does gaslighting sound like? You're overreacting. This is basically minimizing a person's issue. And individuals who have a narcissistic characteristic, men specifically in relation to communicating to women, they will say to the woman, you're making a mountain over a mo out of a molehill. They're not willing to appreciate, accept or respect this woman's feelings to even acknowledge that her feelings are valid. Yes, she may be overreacting, but 
there is a reason for that. It could be because of being triggered or any other reason. But the fact is, if she feels that way, there's a reason she feels that way. And telling her that she's blowing it out of proportion is not helpful. Instead, it'd be a lot better to understand why she's reacting that way and support her so that she's able to handle such situations in a more productive fashion. Another way that gaslighting would be seen is someone saying, you need help, which is undermining and almost says to them that they have problems, that they're not all there mentally, so to speak. Another one is, I didn't do that. You're upset over nothing. You must be confused again. Just calm down. You're so dramatic. I never said that. Why are you so defensive? It's your fault. What are you talking about? You're so sensitive. I never said that. Stop imagining things. I was just joking. You're remembering things wrong. It's always something with you. And it's interesting because if we really pay attention to everything that has been said here quite commonly throughout the various sentences I've just read, there's a lot of denials and gaslighting. Although it says here, intentionally twisting your perception of reality, I would say it goes one step further. And then from what I'm reading here, it appears that with gaslighting, it's denial. It's not accepting what the person is saying to you. It is minimizing it, making out that they are blowing things out of proportion. And actually that those experiences didn't happen, that that conversation wasn't said, that wasn't done. In fact, that the other person, the victim in the situation is hallucinating, imagining things, fabricating. The victim's a liar, deceitful. This is pretty much what I'm getting from all that is here. I didn't do that. You must be confused again. What are you talking about? I never said that. Denial, denial, denial. Gaslighting is a huge thing when a victim of domestic violence is being abused, especially psychologically. And it's when you say certain things, it's like a roller coaster to that person to provoke a reaction or response. And then you come back with this, you're overreacting. You're upset over nothing. And it's a form of manipulation because you know that person's personality and character and you are manipulating them and you are making them feel very confused about what's just happened, what they've seen, what they've experienced. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust the information has been useful to you. I believe that we all need knowledge and education. And when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it enables us to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics being covered each week, then please reach out to me for a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me so that I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes. We can all learn from one another and this is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life, but also that of the people around you. You can find all my contact details on my website, changingcases.org. That's changing, C-A-S-E-S.org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated, then the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode 